Welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, have you ever had really good intentions and then ended up making things worse? So, I don't know if it's just me, but this happens to me like all the time. And there's one um, specific story that I'm thinking of. When my girls were in kindergarten and in second grade, um, they were really into superheroes. And they came home saying, Mom, superhero dress-up day is, is coming. And they were so excited, and they spent days picking out which cape they were going to wear and which superhero they were going to be. And so the day finally arrived, and they put the capes on, and, and they do breakfast, and they're like, Mom, the cape's kind of bugging me. It keeps sliding up on my neck, and then the Velcro's itching. And they were both, like, really disappointed and frustrated that morning. And I'm like, hey, superhero day, I'm super mom. I can handle this, okay? And I'm like, let's just take this, the cape, and I'll just tack it onto your shirt. I'll just sew a couple stitches right here so that then the cape stays down. It doesn't. It's your neck. It's not bothering you. It's not choking you. This is going to work out great. And they're like, oh, Mom, thank you so much. We're so excited. Put them on the bus. Send them off to school. Everything's going good. And then 3.30 rolls along, and they come home. They get off the bus, and they walk home. And, and I can tell as soon as I open the door, it has not been a good day. So one of them is all red. She's been crying. And the other one is just mad. And, and I'm like, hey, girls, how did Superhero Day go? And, and, and one of them starts crying. You'll probably guess which one. She starts crying, and the other one's like, I can't believe you did that to us. I'm like, what did I do? And Rachel's like, it's not Superhero Day today. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> So evidently my oldest was so upset that her teacher was willing to cut, cut it off of her shirt. But Rachel in kindergarten, her teacher's like, oh, sweetheart, your mama worked so hard on that. I can't, I can't cut that off without her permission. And so she had to wear the superhero cape all day. <laughs> Super mom failed, totally. I had the best of intentions, but I totally made things worse. We're in the middle of Exodus, um, and today we're going to read a story where Moses had the best of intentions, obeying God, and yet everything got worse. And so we're going to talk today, what do we do when things get worse? So at this point in Exodus, we know that the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years. There's slaves there, and, and God has risen up Moses to lead them out. And God has called Moses, that's what we talked about last week, to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses was very reluctant. He wasn't sure he was cut out to do this. But he finally agrees to go to Pharaoh. And today, when we read about when he goes to Pharaoh for the first time, everything gets worse. Let's, let's go to the story in Exodus 5. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So, so God had called Moses to go to Egypt with this huge promise saying, I will use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And, and Moses finally agrees to do this. And he goes to Pharaoh, and this is Pharaoh's response. Who is the Lord? Why, why would I obey him? I don't know him. And, and Pharaoh shows this complete disregard for God and shows quite a bit of arrogance as well, saying, I'm not going to obey someone I don't know, and I can do whatever I want. And so what he does is he turns up the heat on the oppression and he says, you think this is bad? Well, I'm going to make it way worse. I've already forced you into slave labor. I've already ordered a mass genocide of all the baby boys. Well, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you to do a task that's impossible and then punish you for it when you can't do it. And so that's what happened. He, he took away the straw. He required the same amount of bricks. And he then just beat the people and beat the overseers when they didn't when they didn't uh, succeed at what he was asking them to do. And so in the next few verses, the Israelite overseers come to Pharaoh to appeal to him, and they say, hey, this is not our fault. What you're asking is impossible. Your people aren't giving us the straw. And, and Pharaoh says, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. Go and do what I've, I've asked you to do. And we get this picture of Pharaoh that is very cruel and, and very oppressive and very arrogant. arrogant. Um, and, and we can imagine the feeling of the Israelites as they hear what, what Pharaoh has to say, this moment of realization when they realize how bad things are. Continuing the story in verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So the Israelites leave Pharaoh, and they see Moses and Aaron, and they just lash out at him, saying, you are responsible for this. You brought this upon us. You caused this. And let's just pause a moment and imagine what it would be like for Moses right now. 
who'd just been called. She was reluctant. God says, I'll take care of this. Just obey me. Just do it. And he does it. And things get horribly worse. So what's Moses' response? In verse 22, Moses's return, Moses returns to the Lord. And he says, why, Lord? Why? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Moses to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So Moses now is just distraught. He's discouraged. And to me, it sounds like he's also a bit angry with God. He's saying, God, you told me to do this, but you're, you're not following through. You're not doing what you said you would do. Because from the very beginning, God said, God promises that he would do miraculous things to bring his people out of Egypt. But at this point in the story, at this point, they're not seeing it. And things are getting worse. And things seem impossible. And for us, if we wanted to, we could read on and see what happens next. But let's just pause there. Like, at this point, things look so bad. And they do what we often do when things go wrong, when we're in trouble or when we're in pain, is they ask why. Why God? And they get frustrated with God. And they get angry with God. And, uh, and often, I've been there, and often we, we don't get the answers to those specific why questions. Uh, I have heard Christians, though, give general answers of why there is pain and suffering in the world to very specific um, why questions, and often those answers can sound trite or can sound kind of churchy or can even sound unkind or make God out to be um, unkind. In the story, in the Exodus story here, we can see, we can read to the end and see that God had a plan and that God indeed does follow through on his promise and he indeed does do miraculous things to bring him out. But in our life, we don't often see, we can't see the end yet. We're, we're just in the present, and we'll always be in the present. And so we often don't know the why uh, of specific pain or specific sufferings. So here's what we do know in the pain. Here's what we do know when we suffer. And here's what we can hold on to. It's that God hurts when we hurt. God hurts when we hurt. Isaiah 63, 9, it says, In all their distress, he too was distressed. So God, God's caring for us does not change when we suffer. And we also know that God is a promise keeper. God keeps his promises. And we see that over and over and over in Scripture. So Moses comes to God saying, Why, God, why? And God responds to Moses and to the Israelites. So let's read that portion in Exodus 6, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, my promise. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Three times in God's response, once to Moses and twice to the Israelites, he says, I am the Lord. I am who I say I am. I will do what I say I will do. I've remembered my covenant. I've remembered my promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with my mighty hand, with power, I will bring you out. I like the phrase in here, says, with my outstretched hand, I will rescue you. And I just get this visual of a parent um, whose, whose child is hurt, and, and with their outstretched arms, they pick them up from that, and they take care of, take care of them. And in here, God says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. We get a glimpse into God's purpose for, for this exodus and, and, and the purpose for how this story is unfolding. That God wants to make himself known. And he wants to make himself known to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh who asked, who is the Lord? Why should I obey him? He wants to make himself known to the Israelites who, who feel hopeless and are miserable in slavery. He wants to make himself known to Moses, who is afraid and overwhelmed by this seemingly impossible task that God has called him to do. And, and God says, you will see that I will keep my promises, and you will know that I am the Lord. You can trust me in this. Even in these dire circumstances, you can trust me. Even when things get worse, I am still God, and I will do what I said. And so the story continues. Exodus 6, verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, what God, God's response. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, so saying, go back, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? So at this point, even after God's response, both the Israelites and Moses are, are overwhelmed with discouragement. And they, they see the problems, 
and they're so big that they've lost sight of, of what God can do, and they've lost hope that God will actually accomplish what he says that, what he said that he would accomplish. In, in many ways, they were blinded by the, the pain and the suffering that they were, they were going through. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience before. I won't tell you how many times I've had this experience before, but I've, I've had lots of great days, and, and my day can be going just superb. Everything is going right. And if you know me, you know I drink a lot of coffee. And uh, on you know my third or fourth cup of coffee, occasionally it will, it will dribble all the way down my shirt. Um, and have you ever had the experience where everything's going great, and then something small like that, like coffee all the way down your shirt, can just totally change your perspective and your mood. For me, you know, the sky is falling, life is horrible, nothing's going right, I can't believe I did this, now I'm going to have to go home. And, and something so small and insignificant, like spilled coffee, can totally change our perspective. So when, you, when we deal with pain and when we deal with suffering and, and great oppression like the Israelites were dealing with here, I mean, just imagine what that does to your, to your perspective. They couldn't hear the words of hope that God had for them. It says they did not listen to Moses because of their discouragement and because of their harsh labor. And Moses himself could not hear the hope that God was speaking to him. And he actually goes back to like a previous excuse that Micah spoke about last week in his calling. He says, well, I have faltering lips. I can't speak eloquently. That's why. That has nothing to do with why Pharaoh won't let his people go. But that's what he goes to. He goes back to that, back to that excuse. So I feel like this story has, has some powerful lessons for us today. You know, at times we go through seasons of difficulty. We go through seasons of pain or suffering, and, and maybe you're going through one right now. And, and when our, our suffering, our problems, our pain is, is big, it's hard to see God through that. Sometimes it's just right there, and that's all that we see. And we begin to ask questions like Moses and like the Israelites. We ask God, where are you? We ask, God, who are you? Like, are you still good? Are you still loving like I thought you were? Why aren't you fixing all this? I don't deserve this. And, and I feel like we have two general directions we can go when we're in one of those seasons. The first general direction is to allow our, our circumstances to dictate who God is. So, um, how, however good or bad our life is going, that's what we allow to dictate how we view God. And so this leads to a view of God that is ever-changing because our life is ever-changing, has all these variables in it. And, and sadly, it leads to a very distorted and incomplete view of God. So we can go down that road or we can go to a different direction. And we can allow God to shine his hope and his love and his purpose into our circumstances. No matter how dire they are, no matter how painful they are, we can recognize who God is apart 
from our pain and our suffering, apart from our circumstances. And then we can look for how God is working in our circumstances. One of the things that Moses does over and over in the story of Exodus that I really love, I think it's one of his best qualities, is that um, Moses, over and over, when he has questions and he has doubts and he has frustrations and he has a lot of them, he goes to God. And he, he asks God his questions and he asks, he tells God his concerns and he asks God to help fix this. And, and that is so important for us as we're going through seasons of difficulty to keep talking to God, to keep conversing with him. So instead of defining God by our circumstances, we can define our circumstances by who God is and see God in that. Like I said, unlike the, the Israelites, we have the advantage of being able to read the end of their story and to see what happens. And we see that God is faithful to keep his promises to Israel. We see that God does deliver them from Egypt, and he does bring them to the promised land. And over and over, we see the Israelites prove to be unfaithful to God. And we see them not living up to their side of the bargain, not living up to their part of the covenant. And, and this makes their journey very long and arduous, and there's consequences for all that. But over and over, we see God not giving up on his people. And we see God reaching out his arms like a parent and rescuing his people and fulfilling his promises even if the Israelites don't fulfill their promises. And fast forward to the New Testament, and God is still faithful to rescue his people. We see God sending part of himself, his son Jesus, to earth to show people how to live a life of love, how to live in a better way. We see, we see God, who is perfect and sinless, taking on our sin, everyone's sin, the pe people's sin onto himself and, and the sin that, that holds people in bondage, that brings suffering and pain with it, he takes that onto himself and he dies on the cross to pay for the consequence of that sin. And then he raises from the dead, showing his power and how he conquered conquered that sin in the death that it brings. And he's able, because of that, to offer us forgiveness and freedom from the bondage of sin. He's able to give us hope and purpose in our circumstances, no matter how dire or how great they are. And he invites us again into this everlasting covenant relationship. We don't use the word covenant much, but covenant is, is this deep commitment and this, this deep faithfulness to each other. And this is what God is inviting us into. I don't know what kind of season you're in. It may be a great season. So just kind of tuck some of this away because you will have seasons of difficulty. <laughs> um, or maybe a really difficult season that you're in right now. And discouragement is, is a prominent feeling that you're, you're feeling. I just want to say there is still hope no matter what you're going through. And our invitation 
today that God is inviting us to is to know him, to know that he is God no matter what. He is powerful. He is loving. He is faithful. To receive freedom from him, freedom from sin, freedom freedom uh, that gives us hope, and then also to receive from him a calling, a calling to live in a different way, to live a life of love. I'm going to invite Chris back up here um, as we move into a time of, of communion. And, and during communion, I want us to reflect on God's continued faithfulness to rescue us from uh, to rescue us from sin. He, he rescues us through Jesus. And that's not just for the Israelites. That's not just for the people in Bible times, but that's for, for all people, for us today. And, and whatever your circumstances may be, whether they be big and painful and right in front of your face and hard to see around, just know that you can take them to God. Know that um, you can ask him to shine hope and love and purpose through those and and he is still good and he is still loving and he is still faithful and he loves us enough yea even enough to die on the cross for us though he was sinless and he's also powerful enough to raise from the dead so he's powerful enough to handle whatever is going on in our lives right now so as we as we take communion together i want us to to remember what Jesus has done. The bread represents his body, his body um, on the cross, broken for us. And we dip the bread into the juice that represents his, his blood. And, and blood is um, a, a symbol for life, his life. So we, we take that communion just to remember what he's done. And as you think about his death and his sacrifice, don't forget that he had the power to conquer it, and that he rose from the dead, and that is what gives us hope. So let's pray, and then I'll, I'll, we can stand and sing, and then anyone who wants to take communion can go do that and then come back. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who delivers. You are a God who rescues. You are a God who reaches out your hand and picks us up when we are hurting. God, you are a God that hurts with us. And you are a God that keeps your covenant. You are a promise keeper. And God, so we worship you because your faithfulness is amazing, and your faithfulness is what gets us through. Lord, specifically, we thank you for Jesus, for offering yourself up in our place to, to pay the consequence for our sin, for the sin that comes before us, for the sin that comes after us, Lord, that once and for all you paid the consequence and that you offer forgiveness and hope and freedom Lord, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.